welcome to the MuseCast, where we squeeze every last drop of inspiration out of Sunday's sermon. Hello, my name is Dan Kent. This is the MuseCast, and I am flying solo today. Uh, I And it was on my sermon that I did this weekend. So unfortunately, Shauna is not able to join us, but uh, I, I think she'll be with us next week. I, I don't really remember why she's not here this week, um, but my guess is that she is grieving the fact that uh, the Los Angeles Lakers, they're just not... They're just not very good. They're just not good. Although, uh, Shauna, if you are watching this, you should take heart because uh, they did win a game. So they have one win. (laughs) As you can see, I'm really enjoying the fact that the Minnesota Timberwolves are doing better than the L.A. Lakers. Uh, So I'm I'm very much enjoying this. So uh, but I do feel bad. Hopefully I think. I think LeBron James is going to pull that team together and uh, you guys are going to be competitive again. Just not right now, as it were. (laughs) Well, hey, uh, I hope you guys had a great Halloween. Um, We had fun. We handed out candy and we watched uh, TV and I relaxed. Uh, Usually the the couple days after I do a sermon, I'm pretty exhausted. So it was nice to just kind of relax and see a bunch of costumes. And uh, we were going to watch a scary movie, but when I was a kid, I used to watch scary movies all the time. But at some point, I realized that uh, scary movies are kind of a, a scam because they try to get you afraid of things that just really aren't that big of a risk. So, you know, like you see scary movies about uh crazy clowns you see scary movies about uh dolls that come to life and are possessed and poltergeists and uh giant spiders and uh you know sociopathic aliens from outer space and uh i even saw one in uh, about two weeks ago uh on one of the stations there is a movie from the 1970s called the fog so you're supposed to be afraid of the fog and it's like you know none of these things the the odds of being killed or hurt by any of these things is just so small that uh, it just makes the whole thing kind of ridiculous meanwhile we have things that are a real risk that there are no movies about and uh, like heart disease for instance there's that's our number one killer half a million people a year are gonna die from heart disease and you don't see any scary movies about heart disease and i just think it's a scam uh so uh we did not watch uh, a scary movie we watched Mad Men. That's what we watched. Um, anyway, that's all an aside. Uh, I did a sermon this week, and the sermon was called The Path is a Person. And the idea behind the sermon was uh, we're looking at the the finally, we're at the, the last piece of the Sermon on the Mount. And we're exploring really about 22 verses there uh, that close out the sermon. And in that kind of section of text, uh, Jesus taps into what is called the two ways tradition. And um, and so what I did is I looked at, well, what is the two ways tradition? And I had this montage where I just looked at the two ways tradition throughout, uh, you know, Christian and Jewish history uh, in the Old Testament, between the Testaments and the early church after the New Testament. And I just kind of outlined what it is. And so, for instance, you know, uh, Deuteronomy is sort of a classic example, Deuteronomy 30, uh, verse 15, where God says through Moses, I have placed before you life and prosperity or death and destruction. And uh, so choose what you choose. And so that's the two ways. There, There are two ways before us 
toward God or away from God. And, uh, and so then after looking at this kind of uh, two ways tradition in general, I looked at how Jesus uses the two ways tradition in Matthew. And, um, and I just kind of uh, was fascinated by the fact that um, Matthew, when he is documenting the Sermon on the Mount, at the very end, he gives this commentary. Uh, and, and it's really helpful because there's a lot of times in the Bible where all you do is you you read what God says, and there's no indication about what God's tone is when God says it. And so, like, for instance, in, in the story of the fall, when Adam and Eve ch- choose against God, God comes back on the scene and it just says, what have you done? Now, (laughs) I've heard different pastors read this in very different ways, and it totally changes the interpretation of the text. So, like, I've heard pastors have God come in and see Adam and Eve, and uh, and God says, what have you done? (laughs) And, uh, And that's very different from other pastors who have said that God says, what have you done? And And you see how that just radically changes the nature of the story. But we don't get a lot of that tone. Like, what tone did God say that in? Um, And we have to sort of project that. And what ends up happening is we bring our theology to the text, and our theology tends to shape what tone we read. Well, it just so happens that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew um, offers us a little insight into the tone that Jesus used, and uh, and he says that the, the crowds were amazed at Jesus's teaching because he spoke as a person who had authority in and of himself. And so there was something in in the way Jesus taught this two ways tradition and everything before it that had this sort of gravitas, this uh, unique sense of authority that that Jesus was making it clear that it's not just the teaching that was important, but it was he himself giving this teaching that was very important. And then uh, I I looked at um, what I thought that was, like what is that thing about Jesus that was important? And when you look at the two ways tradition, you have uh, this collection of kind of a, a binaries that you see in the two ways tradition. You have, uh, uh, you know, one way is life, the other way is death. Uh, One is the way, the other way is not the way. Uh, You have uh, uh, the difference between truth and falsehood, which a lot of times is is written as light and darkness and, um, and so forth. So those, you know, righteousness and wickedness, stuff like that. So then when you get to John 14, 6, and Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, you see that he's tapping into a lot of those common binaries that are used in the two ways tradition. And what that means when he says that I am those parts of the binary, that means that the path, the right way is a person. Jesus is the way. Jesus is that 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 right way of the two ways. In other words, the right way is relational. And I just think that that profoundly changes so much. And the more I contemplate that, the more just profound that gets. Because, you know, a lot of times we are looking for the way, we're looking for the right way to live and so forth. And they can be so conceptual and so ideological. And um, and what happens there, I believe, is that the more we live in these concepts, the more we tend to interpret our reality and the more we tend to engage reality 
what's called pragmatically, where we're just looking for the best return on our investment. We're looking for which of these ideas benefit me the most. But uh, when Jesus kind of coaches his disciples, he coaches them to sort of die to the self for the sake of this relationship. It's totally opposite. And, and there's something about the relationship that's just a totally different way of of interpreting reality. And, um, and, and, you know, carrying that a step further, what I, I kind of thought about, especially after having worked in mental health for so long, um, it's just interesting that it's really, sorry, I had a little bit of a glitch there. Hopefully, um, this recorded, <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> it's just interesting that, you know, like facts and, um, uh, you know, science and uh, even you can have like if you're a smoker and somebody shows you a picture of what a smoker's lung looks like and it basically looks like black licorice. A lot of times that doesn't that's not enough to get a person to stop smoking. Uh, and it just it's just fascinating to me that facts and science and evidence and things like that, it, it doesn't really shape us and change us. Um but one thing that does change us is relationships. And, um, and, and so many times I've seen people not only quit smoking or drinking, but even like, uh, you know, overcome personality disorders, uh, all so that they can make relationships work or so that they can, uh, continue to be, to be blessed and to bless, uh, the people that they love and to be blessed by the people that they love. And that changes people and that, in, uh, compels us to grow more than anything else that I've seen. And, and so it, it, imagine that times a thousand when uh, the, the ultimate path is a person, it's a relationship with God. And, um, and so that's, that's why I think that's just so profound, the more and more I think about it. And so what I did is I, I just talked about how I think that if, if it's true that the way is relational, then we need to somehow, uh, encounter God relationally, not just conceptually, not just theologically, not just biblically, not just hermeneutically, but actually have these interpersonal encounters, which also means that we have to be known personally. And I made this distinction, which I'd love to come back to at some time, between um, being known omnisciently and being known personally. And um, and and that's an idea that I, I would like to develop more. So that was sort of the sermon. Um, I, I cut a lot of stuff out. Um, and, uh, you know, for instance, one of the things I cut out is just the fact that a lot of times the two ways tradition in the Old Testament, especially, and sometimes in the New Testament too, it's articulated in the way that the path of righteousness is hard, it's challenging, it's difficult, uh, but the path of wickedness a lot of times is easy. And that's a lot of times where you see this two-ways tradition just in in that sort of uh, discussion. Um, but it's interesting, and I haven't really worked out how this works, but Jesus says to take his yoke because his yoke is easy. <clears throat> and I think part of that is um, the fact that when you're in relationship, uh, if you are sincere, and I talked a lot about sincerity in the sermon, um, there's a lot of grace. You know, there's a lot of grace, and uh, and God knows, uh, uh, you know, the struggle and the challenge of being Christ-like and and becoming compatible with His kingdom and and so forth. And um, and I think that's what that that probably means. 
you know, there's uh, one other thing I cut out um, that I wanted to look at, especially in talking about sincerity. And that is this. I, I was reflecting on ways that we can be insincere. And um, one of the ways that we can be insincere, but basically this is, there's two kind of ways. There's a, there's probably a thousand ways that we can be insincere, but the two that I was thinking about uh, was this. Uh, one is that uh, we can be insincere uh, in sort of um, belittling our ability to do something. So we can have like self-doubt is a type of insincerity where uh, uh, we assume that we can't do what what Jesus is commanding us to do. Um and it's interesting because uh, implicit, like just buried in the message of the Sermon on the Mount, is this implicit message that, yeah, you can. You can do the things that God is commanding. Uh, you do have the ability. That doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. That doesn't mean that you're always going to be doing it or anything like that. It just says that you can. And and the fact is, is that you have to believe that you can. Otherwise, you never will. I mean, if you believe that you can't, you never will, unless you just accidentally do it. But um uh, you know, but it's interesting because like in Matthew 7, 21, he says that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my father. And uh, and then you have the Great Commission at the end of, of Matthew where um, Jesus tells his disciples, go out and, and make uh, disciples and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey the commands that I have given. And so you really do have to believe that you you can. Um, but related to that, though, another type of insincerity is self-denial. So you have self-doubt on, on one side, and then you have self-denial on the other, which uh, basically says that uh, self-denial is when you think that you don't need to grow anymore, or you think that you've already arrived, you think that you're there, and um, and that's <laughs> that's just not the case. Jesus does two things. I think in the Sermon on the Mount, he gives this clear kind of uh, fact that you can obey, you can do these things, and also you're not there yet. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, denying one of those uh, is basically a type of insincerity. Um, those are sort of the big things. I have uh, 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 Peter sent me a um, something from. Uh, what is it called? It's called uh, the Jesus Calling Devotional. And I'm just going to finish by reading this because I thought this was really great. Uh, and I, I haven't read this devotional, but I thought this was neat. Um, but in this devotional, Jesus is saying, and this is an interpretation from various verses, and the verses that are given, and I haven't examined these, but the verses that are given are Romans 8, 33 to 34, and Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. But the little devotional thing says this, Do not be discouraged by the difficulty of keeping your focus on me. I know that your heart's desire is to be aware of my presence continually. This is a lofty goal. You aim toward it, but never fully achieve it in this life. Don't let feelings of failure weigh you down. Instead, try to see yourself as I see you. First of all, I am delighted by your deep desire to walk closely with me through your life. I am pleased each time you take initiative to communicate with me. In addition, I notice the progress you have made since you first resolved to live in my presence. When you realize that your mind has wandered away from me, don't be alarmed or surprised. You live in a world that has been rigged to distract you. Each time you plow your way through the massive distractions to communicate with me, you achieve a great victory. 
Rejoice in these tiny triumphs, and they will increase uh, and increasingly light up your days. I thought that was a really great little devotional. Uh, thank you, Peter, for sending that in. Um, well, uh, we'll see you next week. Hopefully, uh, I'll, I'll see you on the chat. Uh, well, I'm, I guess if you're watching this right now, I'm in the chat right now. Let's see. I think it's this way. <laughs> Shoot, I can't can't figure out fast enough which side of the screen the chat is on. But uh, hopefully, I'm seeing you now. And uh, otherwise, Shauna should be back with me next week. And uh, thanks for uh, tuning in. And let me know what you think of the sermon. And yeah, see you guys.